there's one thing about the human animal. If it has class, it has it. If it doesn't, you cannot give it to them. This is The Law. Live audio wrestling with the latest news, info, and interviews from the world of pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the best of combat sports worldwide. You broke the all-time record for the largest gathering of trailer park trash the Rock has ever seen! I'm one of the biggest legends and stars ever in this God! And your teeth took that too tight too, Billy! And I heard the news the next day. And I slept like a baby last night. From time to time, we'll be bringing you what we feel were the best of our recent shows. Like me or not, I didn't come up here to be like, I came up here to get paid. And whoever you put in front of me, I'm going to drop you down. I've had them down there on the dirt. I know what it's like to eat out of garbage cans, man. I know what it's like to sit there on the street and do nothing. I know what it's like to fight. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. Gentlemen, this is the Law Live Audio Wrestling. Thank you so much for joining us each and every week. I'm your host, ever so humble, Chris Tidwell, and joining me each and every time. Wouldn't be the same without him. Little Brady Wedham. How you doing today, buddy? Ever so arrogant, little Brady Wedham. I am doing fine. How are you, sir? <laughs> it's been a hell of a week, man. I am surprised that we're actually still going. I think I am on my, my um, 22nd energy drink because I don't drink coffee. Uh, I've been up since like Friday morning. Yeah, that's horrible. Look, that mug is the same size as you, young man. Uh, I have been up since Friday morning at five o'clock in the morning. I haven't slept yet because there's just been that much going on. And we're gonna try, uh, the key word here is try to get through all of that stuff. We're talking about PFL versus Bellator. Those fights happened. We're talking TNA had a pay-per-view on Friday night. WWE had a pay-per-view on Saturday morning at 5 o'clock in the freaking morning. The UFC had a fight in Mexico City on Saturday night. Um, what else happened? There was boxing all day long going on. Like It has been absolute mayhem. And if that wasn't enough, we actually found time. I'm not even kidding when I tell you this. We found time to record this week's Kick in the Head with none other, none other than uh, some of you may or may not know the name of Danny Bullwhip Johnson. If you do, congratulations. You're a better human being. Uh, if you don't, go look it up because it's the history of professional wrestling, the things that you need to know about. And we sit down with his son, Eric Johnson, who's written a book about 
being the son of a uh, of a Hall of Famer and joining us, of course, one of one of Danny Johnson, one of Bullwhip's best friends who's been on the show before and a very good friend of ours. Harry D stops by as well. So this is one this is one kick in the head. And you can tell if you're watching this on YouTube that by Brady's reaction, you don't want to miss this one. If you're no. listening to all of this on of our prop podcast providers, don't worry. It's going to be seamless for you like it is each and every week. But you may want to go back and watch this one, too, because anytime Harry D shows up, Brady, wow, it's a party. I'm putting in the disclaimer out now. <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm saying. It's uh, so, free, free speech here. Always. Oh. Always and never anything more. Uh, so shout out to all of you that are joining us uh, and, and listening to this. Thank you so much each and every week. We appreciate the heck out of you. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get right into this because whew, so much is happening. So much is happening. We have Sunday, March 3rd, Mississauga, Ontario, the Don Colliver Arena. Destiny is presenting Carnage with the one and only former WWE superstar, Mustafa Ali. And he's taking on Gabriel Fuerza. It's going to be one hell of a, of, a, of a match right there. Not to mention that we've also got Destiny Wrestling is going to be doing uh, two matches for the start of the women's championship title picture, right? Yeah. Got Alexia Nicole taking on Lisa Hall and Holly Dead taking on Crystal Moon. You're also going to have Charles Mason making his way up into Ontario to take on Tarek, another guy, a hell of a talent out there. All the punches, all the kicks, and all the chops. Not to mention, not to mention that Destiny champion Trent Seven is also going to be there he doesn't have an opponent yet so that means to me surprise 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 so you're going to want to get your tickets you're going to want to get your tickets fast this is going to sell out i guarantee you it will go to destinywrestling.ca or uh, facebook.com slash destiny wrestling get all your info get your tickets now because uh i'm pretty sure we're going to be there doing some coverage absolutely we will And we are back on the law, live audio wrestling. And oh my goodness, I am so excited for that Destiny show. So excited. You know what makes it that much more exciting for me, Brady? What's up, is buddy? the fact that Mustafa Ali, who is one hell of a talent, no doubt about it, and coming off of his big win this past weekend with TNA Wrestling in that main event, Oh my goodness. Wow. Listen, we were talking about this and I said to you, I said, wow, somebody is really channeling their inner Eddie Guerrero, aren't they? And Mustafa Ali is doing just that. And that is a compliment of all compliments. When you can, when you can see it and it's happening, you're doing good things, sir. Good for you. In Ali, we trust. In Ali, we trust. And speaking of the TNA pay-per-view in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. shout out to all of the boys and girls that went out there and busted their ass. Everybody was kind of concerned about how this was going to go because this was their first pay-per-view without Scott Demore. And making the rounds, there's a video going on about how um, EY, Eric Young, 
mm-hmm. came out with the entire locker room and addressed the crowd prior to the show happening. Uh, fantastic, emotional. Um, but at the end of the day, he laid it out there for everybody that the show must go on. The absolutely must go on. And that's exactly what they did. Here's the thing that I noticed throughout the night is the crowd kind of started off a little, a little low, a little quiet. You know what I mean? But by the end of that night, man, they were ready to rock and roll. And in a town like New Orleans, if you can get their attention for that, you're doing really good things because there's always a party going on in New Orleans. Well, I agree with you when it comes to the locker room stepping up and performing. Yeah. The event as a whole, I don't know if that was the one you want to hang your hat on. Here's what I noticed about the, I mean, they tried to do as much as they can. Uh, with what they had as far as the production end of things go. Uh, The talent inside of the ring, the guys and girls that went out there and busted their ass, absolutely. They they did their job. The look of it and the way that that was um, presented could have been, could have been better. And, and, And you almost have to, you have to ask yourself the question, would it have been better if Scott Demore was still there? Yes, because he would have said, dim the lights a bit, guys. <laughs> Fucking hang a curtain. We Stop don't want a like white that. wall beside our, our hard cam crowd. Stop hanging the can. Stop sh- uh, pointing the shot in that direction where there's nobody at. Yeah, My goodness. It was really bad during the PCO match when they were outside PCO and con and they were doing. I don't know if it was if it was the the after math or what it was going on but there was a cameraman that i could uh, if scott was there he would have been screaming in his ear <laughs> He'd been like, yeah. what are you doing like yeah. there's a w- we've seen them do this even back at universal there is a way to light these shows there's a way to deal with a crowd that is smaller than normal and sometimes all you got to do turn the lights down turn the mics up absolutely so it's, Abs- it's it's very simple so is this a sign that somebody that who was ever directing this last night? Is this just the venue or this predicament they were in, or is this inexperience with coming to produce a wrestling show on your own? I mean, I don't think it has to be exclusive to one uh, of those items or the other. I think it can be a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. Here's the thing. I am willing. I am willing myself. And I know this is very big of me. You're welcome people. I am willing to give them an opportunity to iron out uh, the wrinkles that are going to be expected right now. Yeah. Um, we we can't imagine what that process is like, nor can we assume that it's going to be nailed 100% right out the gate. You know, this is, this is a whole new process all over for some of these people. We don't know who's doing this stuff, you know? So your all highlight we- from Friday night, what would you, if, if you could, let's, let's take three things. What's sure. your three big things that you took from that pay-per-view? Ah, the, the main event match. Fantastic. Very well done. The only part that I did not like was the, uh, the security goof goons. You know what I mean? The guys in black suits that uh, did nothing, uh, except for one spot. And then they laid there for 10 minutes, helping somebody on the outside instead of picking up the bodies and getting them out of there. It was kind of weird. It wasn't needed. You you called me the next morning and you're like, hey, you know, outside of it not being needed and it doesn't really get any good heat because nobody knows who these agents are. 
who the hell were they talking to in their headset? This was my thing. Everybody's touching their ears like they're trying to hold their earpiece in, like they're talking to somebody in the back. Wouldn't Scott. that person in? Wouldn't no, that no, person? It was Scott, it was, oh, was Scott it? via satellite. Yep. Wow. There's the tinfoil hat conspiracy right there, right? <laughs> Bryce Mitchell. We don't have to check. We don't have anything to check in with Bryce Mitchell this week. So I figured I'd give you something. Unbelievable. So that match was very good. I didn't care for that sequence, but whatever. The match was great. Um, the the closing sequence for the the match between Giselle Shaw and Jordan Grace. The closing sequence, the 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 the, the speed of it. The execution of it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Spanish fly off of the ring apron looked fantastic. Um, and then really the third thing outside of that that I that I thought was good uh, was the match with Josh Alexander, of course, okay. you know, um, with uh, uh, one half of the vaudevillians. <laughs> hey, where was crazy Steve? Didn't wasn't there a graphic that said he was doing some sort of like street fight or something like that? And then we like is that May- for the digital is that still the digital media championship, which now is only available on digital media? Like what's maybe going it on? is, maybe it is, and it could have also been something that was done for the tapings uh the next night as well. Could have been a timing issue. It was a jacked up card. They ended, you know, a couple minutes early um before their end time, but they they were they were it felt like they got in and got out. Yeah, like we're gonna do I, with this episode. Absolutely. You know, um, I think that they did a good job. They got in, they got out, no harm, no foul, nobody got injured. Um, so all in all, good outing for TNA. So let's go over to some fights. Now yes. we had all of them. There was a there was about oh, 14, I think there was fourteen hundred or fifteen hundred fights this weekend. Uh um, give, give or take one or two. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was unbelievable. I mean, you had okay. What do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about PFL versus Bellator. Oh goodness, what happened a little bit, or you know, earlier on, and everybody thought that this was going to be um, even. Well, guess what? It wasn't. I mean, first of all, you had it over. You know, you had special special appearances by one John Jones over there. You know, uh, this was taking place in Riyadh. Obviously, um, here's the thing that. PFL has to try and do stop sucking do that right now okay every one of your guys got clowned except for one and that was the main event and the only reason the only reason that uh what's uh, that Ryan Bader got it smashed by Hen and Ferreira in the first round I mean he hit him knocked him down and then proceeded to give him 13 shots to the back of the head Hennen Hennen is is a is a talent, and it's going to be interesting to see because they're saying now that he's fighting Ngano. He he must be hollow. Yeah, he absolutely must be hollow because the shell of that man is a super heavyweight. When you look at Ryan Bader, is not uh, you know I mean he's not a large heavyweight by any shape of the imagination. He's he's more like a Randy Couture kind of heavyweight. He's a um, big boy though, man. But he's thick. Yeah, he's Bader's thick. a big boy. And and Ferreira is just a massive human being. Like to see him and Francis Ngannou, hopefully this does something. Because let's face facts here, Brady. Francis Ngannou has another big boxing fight coming up. 
And we've seen, this, we've seen this already in the world of MMA and what we've been talking about for a while now with Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor doesn't have to come back because he's got hundreds of millions of dollars and there's no drive for him to do so. My fear, could you imagine if all of a sudden Francis Ngannou after this next boxing thing is like, you know what? Deuces. I got 10, 15 million dollars in the bank and a nice tie-in with the Saudis. I'm just going to go do that. Throwing it back to wrestling for a minute. Michael Chandler in the crowd at Raw trying to call Connor out. It kind of proves what you're saying. They got to get to the point now where Michael Chandler has to go in a completely different sport and take over TV time to try and get McGregor to fight him. So I think there's a better chance you're going to see McGregor versus Chandler at WrestleMania than you are UFC 300. In the stands, maybe. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, certainly would would probably be just as good a fight as the fights that were in the stands at UFC <laughs> Mexico this oh, past. Oh my! Yeah. They say it was the worst brawl ever in the history of brawls in the crowd. When you've got the people fighting in the octagon saying, "Hey, can everybody please just calm down a little bit here?" <laughs> so, moving, this is a perfect segue from PFL versus Bellator. If you haven't checked out that event, go check it out. It is a, uh, it is definitely a one-sided, one-sided whooping from one company to the other. Uh, yeah. We had we had karate combat championships, which I sure as hell did not watch. I don't know if you found the time to watch it. I caught some highlights of it. Um, very good fights. I'm going to go back and watch some of that stuff. But, and and that's just because of the timing of when everything was on. Um, was but I did, place. of course, I did, of course, stay awake. Don't know why to watch the UFC Mexico City fights. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, give me three highlights from. I know it's hard because the fights were great all night, but give me three highlights from the UFC event. What was your big takeaways? Here's my first highlight. Stop sleeping on Brian Ortega. You love Brian Ortega. You have always been putting his, since we started doing the Wayans brothers and the pre-punches and stuff, you have really been in his corner. You know why? It's because his, his ability to, to take in information process that information and then and then execute the plan because of that information is flawless and i'm a big fan of his coach henner gracie who is unbelievable at being able to do breakdowns if you've ever caught any of those gracie breakdowns online where they break down these fights flawless it's unbelievable so the fact that you know and then i mean brian ortega the beatings that that dude has taken in the face I mean, the, the unbelievable. Beating, the beating he gave himself when Bruce Buffer was announcing his name was bad yeah. enough. Yeah. If anybody didn't see it, Brian Ortega took a, a little leap, which you see a lot of fighters do. They'll do a, a vertical vertical jump when their name's being called or when they're prepping. And uh, Brian Ortega rolled his ankle. Yep. And it looked bad enough where, like, it was swollen by the time we were 30 seconds into the fight, which means he sprained his ankle. He didn't need it, though. No, he did not. And why is that? He didn't need it because he ended up winning by tap. Tap that might have been held on a little bit too long. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, Brian Ortega was not losing in front of his ex-girlfriend. Okay? <laughs> he was out there to prove a damn point. And you would think by taking on a guy by like with Yair Rodriguez, I mean, Yair is no slouch. 
He's top of the food chain there. Oh, yeah. Brian Ortega just solidified, and he said to everybody, hey, bitches, I'm back. That's no, one takeaway. I don't want to act like, uh, you know, Miss Cleo, but by the beginning of the second round, I knew your ear was broken. Yeah. He was broken yeah. at the very beginning. You could see it in his face. He He's like, what in the had. hell, man? I can't do anything. Why is this? The What is happening? I'm fighting an actual zombie here. Look how long it took Volk in his prime to put Ortega down. Yeah. Like, it, it, yeah. it takes a minute. This guy is durable as hell. Right. And now he's then the main event. Again. Then the main event. That main event between the two Brandons, Brandon Moreno, Brandon Royville. I'm still dizzy from watching this fight because of how fast-paced and crazy it was. Over 500 shots thrown by Brandon Royville alone, ladies did and gentlemen. Did Moreno seem like he was way too, like, way too relaxed? Like, he's usually relaxed and they're having fun, but he seemed a little too calm. A little too hesitant. Didn't really mm. want to go in for the kill, it seemed like, and Royville just kept putting it on him. And and listen, get get this. I understand that it's really hard to engage and get in close with a guy Brandon Royville, a little bit longer of a fighter. It's hard to get in there when the volume that he's throwing out there doesn't leave for any kind of spaces. You've got to be very good. Brandon Moreno got picked up early because he kept trying to throw that big overhand right. He's coming out of everything, throwing that big overhand, and it just it got read too much. Um, and I think that was his downfall. Now, Brandon Moreno, one hell of a fighter. Don't get it wrong. Yeah. Royval just happened to be on his game that night. Unbelievable. It was a fantastic event. You can watch the replay on ESPN Plus, and I believe it'll be on Fight Pass by the by the end of the weekend here. So go Absolutely. check it out. And now let's take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've heard yet. I, I, I've loaded it up in here. We're going to take I've only heard a little bit of it, but we're going to take a listen at the exact same time. We have another little should I say, I don't know how to do this politely. We have another fuck up from our old buddy, Dave. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into that right after we get into this. Do you have a podcast? Are you looking for high profile guests for your show, but don't know how to get in touch with them? Go to podstars.net. That's podstars with a Z.net. For less than $9 a month, you can get access to a huge selection of celebrity guests like wrestling superstar The Blue Meanie to musicians like Marty Ray and even actors like Tom Arnold. Podstars is the place to go to connect with everything you need for your podcast. So go to podstars.net with a Z to get signed up. At podstars.net, you'll be happy that you did. And we're back. This is the Law Live Audio Wrestling For all of you joining us here on YouTube, that's the law dash live audio wrestling for your podcast providers, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, you can join. It's the law live audio wrestling. Now, as you said, Brady, apparently the dunce of all dunces, the stooge a la carte king stooge uh, is at it again. Well, I'm uh, I'm about to change his name from Dave Meltzer to Dave Biden because I don't know what is going on. I, this is at this point, it's got to be he's just getting senile. You think it's a little uh, bit of uh, dementia? Maybe set in. It has to be. If he does not come out and say he's sick in the next six months, 
and that he's dealing with new medication or something. Okay. It's, this is getting to the point now where the rooster needs to leave the coop. Well, well, here's the thing that I've noticed with Dave, and, and this has always been a thing over the course of time, is whenever he gets called out on one of these really bad ones, he resorts back to, I'm going to talk about numbers uh, because, you know, he thinks that numbers don't lie. So let's give this a little bit of a listen right here and 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 marvel marvel in the mayhem that is Meltzer. For someone who hasn't heard this, you just holy crap. Let's go. Let's do it. Sting just this week of essentially all the pay-per-view buys by state from TNA, WWE and AEW. And it's very interesting because um, I think the one thing that's most interesting is for WWE pay-per-views, okay, yeah. the people who still buy in pay-per-view, okay. they are most successful. Pause this for a second. In I hate this fucking guy's voice now. It was never this bad. And I, this is coming from a guy who has a robot voice. I have a permanent robot chain smoker's voice. I get it. I was a ring announcer. I blew my voice box out. I sound like Miley Cyrus. Yes, I've deleted a few comments in the, that have said that I sound like Miley Cyrus. But you don't sound like the less smart brother of the Sling Blade twins. Okay? Holy shit, dude. <laughs> you know what he talks like? He talks, speaking of insane asylums, he talks like the guy, the fr the frustrated kid on uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, who also uh, is Chucky, the voice of Chucky, whoever that actor is. I wish he was the three. window. I wish he was the window in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You just have a gigantic... Sink to the face. I jump right to through him. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, let's keep going here. Dates where income the average income is the lowest you would think that people who would pay 60 dollars for a pay-per-view okay come from more affluent states why would you possibly think that dave why could second. you possibly think <laughs> why could you possibly think that what just because by your logic, more affluent neighborhoods have an extra $60 laying around. They have nothing better to do with their $60 but put it onto a pay-per-view cost. Um, let me point back, before we even go any further on this, right. let me point back to the days when there was a thing going on in the world, you know, the, the Great Recession. When people didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. When dust farming was an actual thing, all right? You know what people spent their money on? Do you think it was like baby food? Or do you think it was like um, um, steaks or vegetables or, or anything like that that they could have, you know, fed their entire families with? No. You know what the highest ticket priced items out there were? Candy. Do you want to know why it was candy, Dave? Because it made them feel good. It doesn't matter the cost of it if it makes them feel good. So for you to say that people in uh, certain neighborhoods only spend their money, no. I disagree completely. Because if I've only got X amount of dollars and I'm going to spend it on uh, uh, one pay-per-view or some candy, you know what I'm going to spend it on? 
go spend it on some candy. Because I don't need to buy the pay-per-view when I can watch all of the clips I need every 15 seconds when they're put out there on damn TikTok. Also, what are you doing on TikTok? We have this awesome thing called streaming services. Who the hell pays for pay-per-views anymore? Okay, whoa, whoa, we do, we do, we do with the help of our lovely sponsors. That has nothing to do with it. We pay for pay-per-views because we have to, and it's our jobs to do so. Yes. But we both know that the majority of people out there, a lot of which we know, will just as easily go find a stream online or go on to Reddit and ask for a link Mm -hmm. or go on to Twitter and ask for a link or do something like that. So your logic is not only askew, Dave, it's wrong. Here's the thing. I've had the network. I had the network for like five years and I still streamed it on my phone without using the network because it was easier for me to just go to a like a, an illegal stream and watch it than to pull up all the bullshit you got to do here in Canada to get the network to work on your fucking device. So what else is this? All right. Gotta... Then, you know, the ones who pay whatever, you know, Peacock is nine ninety nine. I think it can, right? I maybe it's maybe I think it's eight, maybe it's eight ninety nine. I don't even know. And I, I get it. Right. You know, but it's obviously same i just i just kind of said the same thing though yeah and that's the other thing i'm gonna i'm gonna pay my service for the wwe network as opposed to putting out 70 dollars for a Mm pay-per-view nothing but it's it's just interesting but for aw it's the opposite you know aw um you know the more affluent um the state is the better they do on pay-per-view. And Oklahoma, where they were tonight, is one of the states that um, AW does not do well on pay-per-view. But-, but then why did they go there? Why did they go there then, Dave? Uh, he's... It show, it WWE shows- does great on pay-per-view. Um, there are a lot of states... Um, and, and this really does correlate. You know, I mean, when I looked at the states that AEW performs the worst on pay-per-view. Is he making fucking lunch? Like, is, what's Maybe, he doing? He's making a mess of his brain and of mine, too. Maybe it has nothing to do with the, you know what? Fuck him. This is out of there. Maybe no, it has. No, 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 no. We needed that. We needed that because there's a tagline here. that. So we were sent this by one of all these shows. And- we need the end because supposedly right. the, the tagline that it said in the subject line was was at the very last sentence, and that supposedly is what we need to hear. Okay. I in the pay-per-views, and um, they probably, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing, you know, like where they're more popular and where they're not. But I think that, like, they, they need to be going to the states with the highest income. You know, poor people don't like AEW. Okay. Motherfucker. So okay. Poor people. Poor people. Don't like AEW. Yeah. You know who else doesn't like AEW, Dave? Rich people. Rich people don't like AEW either, clearly, because your statement is that WWE does better in these markets. Maybe it has absolutely nothing to do with the with the income of the household. Maybe it just has to do with the WWE has more fucking fans. 
Okay, you know what? Next week, we're not doing a Dave Meltzer segment. We're bringing KJ back. I'd rather deal with the headache of people complaining about KJ mentioning Vince McMahon doing inappropriate things in a humorous way than I can do dealing with the anger that you're going to be the rest of this episode. <laughs> because somebody sent in another Dave Meltzer clip. It's infuriating because I, I left doing this kind of stuff to go become a professional wrestler. I took the time to learn the craft so that I could talk shit about those people <laughs> afterwards. I earned that right. Dave Meltzer hasn't done a damn thing. Nothing. All right, well, that, all that, that guy's Dave. ever done is on the back of a toilet anyways. All right, okay, so... Um... We had the Elimination Chamber, and if you want a full recap of the Elimination Chamber, head over to smneradio.com or go to your any podcast provider and check out Sunday Night's Main Event. Um, the lovely guys, the Smack Daddies from uh, the podcast, the Smack Daddies, they reviewed the event in full. Uh, I guarantee Boris will have his review out on TSN Radio uh, later on today as well. But we're going to take a, a we're going to take a completely different path with the Elimination Chamber here. We're not going to talk about the event as a whole because you, like I said, you can hear it bunch of different spots a lot smarter people than us going to be talking about it i want to talk about the main event which will lead into what our thumbnail has asked here and this is something that you brought up to me and i don't really know the direction you're going to take with it but i am very intrigued so main event was a women's world championship match in perth australia uh, between nia Jax, the rock's cousin we have to just say that at this point um versus Hometown girl, Rhea Ripley. What did you think about it? So I asked the question in the thumbnail for this show, and there's mm -hmm. a picture of Rhea Ripley. There's a picture of Jordan Grace. There's a picture of Bianca Belair. And uh, there's a picture of Jade Cargill. All in that thumbnail. Now, what do all of these human beings have in common other than the fact that they're in the world of professional wrestling. When you look at each one of them, you see, and it has been shown one hell of a strong woman inside of that ring. So the question that I asked is, is this pro wrestling? Is this where we're at? Have we changed the whole thing from, you know, the divas and the cat fights and the 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 lingerie matches and the pillow fights and the rolling around in jello because i mean for the longest time we were told that that was wrestling mm -hmm. for the longest time we were told that this is what you would expect when you see women inside of a ring is all of a sudden from side to side ah run grab the hair roll around cat fight cat fight cat fight Maybe a boob falls out because they forgot to put a pasty over it. That's what you were hoping for when you were younger. Remember, now, okay, well, just keep go going, ahead. keep going. No, no, keep going, keep going. But now what we have is we have these specimens. People like Rhea Ripley. People like Jordan Grace. People like Jade Cargill. People like Bianca Belair. That just have this freakish strength about them and this mindset towards wrestling that you've never seen before with women's wrestling. So I asked the question, is this pro wrestling? 
My answer, well, very simple. 100% it is. So what I was going to say is I feel like the women's wrestling, because it's had so many starts and stops since the beginning of wrestling, right. a lot of starts and stops, starts and yeah. stops, starts and stops. It's finally at the point with where they are athletically. I think where the 80s was with the end of the territories and the beginning of the boom when it came to the males. I think they've finally got that far. If that, does that make any sense? Absolutely, it does. Let me tell you something, Bray. When there's there's footage out there somewhere, I'm sure, and it's no secret that I have never been that big of a fan in the past of women's wrestling. Didn't like it. Had no use for it. And that's because the product that was being fed to me wasn't good enough for me to buy into it. You're already asking me to buy into the world of professional wrestling in itself, which is a thing where I have to disband my belief and suspend my belief because I'm smart enough to know what the hell is going on. Now you're really asking me to do that when you've well, got this cat fight going on. But when you say that you're being, you're actually, you're, you're not giving yourself enough credit because I've heard you say things over the years where you're like, yeah, women's wrestling, women's wrestling, but you'll still give credit to things like to Sherry Martell. 100%. And be like, well, that's that's a different, that's not what I'm talking about. So keep going. I don't mean to cut you off. No. And where we are now, how it has changed, how it has evolved. You don't have these lingerie matches. You don't have these stupid gimmicky things that are just set, just put out there to sexualize the women. The women are actually becoming legitimate athletes in the world of professional wrestling some of them already athletes before they got into the world of professional wrestling and they're solidifying their spots now so i will be the first one to tell you what i see out there now from women's wrestling 90 percent great and i'll say the same thing about men's wrestling too 90 percent great Mm, I disagree with that. I, I'd say women's wrestling is 90% great. Men's wrestling right now is about 75. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on even inside of the WWE with some people that I think I think eventually over the next couple of years will get weeded out. Do you think that that's just strictly based on a numbers game because of the amount of men wrestling 100%. to the yep. amount of women that are wrestling? I think it's the mentality of some of the guys that came up playing video games and then I think a, a portion of it is a numbers game. Here's what I'm going to say about women's wrestling right now is that if, for me. if where we are right now with women's wrestling, uh, if that's any indication of where we can go forward with it, you are going to see some absolute studs of athletes. Yep. Here was my favorite part of WWE's elimination chamber coming to you from Perth, Australia. My favorite part wasn't any kind of move. My favorite part wasn't any story. My favorite part wasn't, you know, Cody Rhodes doing a cutter in a fucking $10,000 suit like a jerk Bless his in, his, in, his, in his designer shoes and fancy socks. Like, ah, hey, hey, look at me. Uh, I'm so much better than everybody. We, we had a rule. <laughs> we don't shit on the boys. We don't shit on fashion. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not, I'm not shitting on it. I'm jealous of it. 
Uh-oh. I would have done something like that. And it would have it's, been just, it would have been, it would have looked like Hulk fucking the Hulk pants by the well, time he, I'm done. <laughs> he did rip his suit, but all the power to him. It was great. Right. I like it. That but yeah. So was what was your highlight? Favorite. My favorite part. And we're talking about this main event because that was where my favorite part was. And it wasn't any, any part of the match because I mean, you could only work with what you've, you've been given to work with. My favorite part was Rhea Ripley. Her music hits. She comes out. She stops. She pauses. She looks at the crowd. And you can see. Go back and look for it. You can see in her eyes. She is literally a hair away from cracking, from breaking, from sitting, from actually crying, from tears of joy because she's standing where she's standing in front of her home country in the main event of a pay-per-view for the largest company in the world. And she knew right there, you could tell she was like, holy shit, this is, this is my moment that you can never take away from me ever, mm-hmm. ever. And here's how I know women's wrestling is going to thrive because of that moment right there. And the fact that when that moment hit and you saw over 52,000 people all on their feet cheering for this one female wrestler in her home country, the office, the WWE, the people in charge, put her in that position because they believe, because they believe that she's deserving of that spot. And she proved to everybody beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is deserving of that spot. Listen, Rhea Ripley's been a star for a long time. Don't get it wrong, right? But she came into her own this past weekend, and I could not be happier for her. That is absolutely unbelievable. The older I get, the more, and I've always appreciated it. Like, and if you're a normal human being, you always appreciate it. But the older I get, the more I feel like it, it does kind of get, I do take a step back when, when you see these athletes and their families are there yeah. and they get to perform in front of their families and you see like how they interact with their family before they could do the match. And then what they're like after. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the most organic things in wrestling that you see when they do like with someone like Rhea, like you said, is in her hometown and her entire, her sister's there and her her mom's there and her aunts are there and her friends from high school. And they're all sitting in this pile and you could just see the look that she gets. She gives them the Iggy. Yeah. Like, and to me, that's the stuff that now I kind of get that little lump in my throat and I'm like, Holy shit. I'm going to, what are you doing? You're an adult man up. Yeah. Right yeah. All that, that chauvinistic crap. So. That lump in your throat that you're getting is happiness for another human being that you it only is. realize when you're old and you take yourself away from the situation. Mm. She's deserving of all of that and more. And the fact that she, if you're smart enough to know to look for it and smart enough to know this, the, the, the signs of it, she let everybody know. Without letting anybody know, she let everybody know how happy she really is super stoked for Marilyn Manson in the main event. That was awesome. Um, I'm glad she got her run, but she is really starting to look like Marilyn Manson. (laughs) Well, and I I love it. I think it's great. Listen, uh, if I was, if you were asking me who I would like to spend dinner with, uh, at any given time, or even be, um, in a room with, 
I would pick Rhea Ripley. Yeah, she's that, a that has nothing to do with other than the fact that I think Marilyn Manson is a bit of a goof. <laughs> That's the second time you've dropped that word this this show. All right. Yeah. Well, what what else do we have in store for this week? We got another commercial break we have to take uh, before we get on out of here, but um, we'll take a preview of what's going on with this uh, this week's tids kick in the head when we get back. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to drop on the listeners this week? Or you know, it might it? change between now and the next 30 seconds. So let's see what happens after this commercial break. My name is Chris Tidwell. That's Brady Wedham. We're mm. going to be right back after this. This is the Law Live Audio Wrestling. Bitch Fest. March 1st to 30th. Make sure you have your passes to Bitch Fest. Toronto's most inclusive DIY punk fest. Bitch Fest delivers 14 shows at over nine venues featuring over 50 of the best indie punk bands touring today. Every weekend in Toronto this March is Bitch Fest. Follow at bitch.fest underscore Toronto on Instagram and get your passes today at fanatickets.com. Well, there it is. This is the law of live audio wrestling. And, you know, you talk about it. Here's my question for you, Brady. If what if you're sitting there at 49 bands, you need 51 to make that statement of over 50. Could you imagine saying over 48 bands? <laughs> Dude, that is the best ad we have ever played. Shouts out to fan ah. tickets for that one. Bitch first. I'm so that. stoked. I'm so my nickname, eh? Fest? No, bitch. Oh. I was a little bitch growing up. <laughs> I used to wear a long, long beach hat and hang out with a bunch of older guys, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I was a little bitch. Because it just had an LB on it. Yeah, fuck basketball. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Bitch fest. Baseball Go check it out. was a Actually, great movie. What are you talking about? It is, but it started the whole, like, little bitch thing, and I got called that for at least, you know, six months to nine months before people forgot about the movie again, all my stoner friends. So... <laughs> <laughs> bitch fest is coming up get tickets to bitch yeah. fest also get tickets march 3rd destiny wrestling and mississauga the new x division champion mustafa ali is there plus a whole bunch of other talent you got uh, what trend seven there's a bunch going on bunch going on so uh, get your tickets now i think there's still probably a few tickets left they had their event uh this weekend with Lindsay dorado in oshawa that looked packed absolutely so uh definitely get your tickets now matt cardona was there i think uh he was taking pictures with everybody and there were some surprise guests so you never know who shows up at destiny get your tickets now i am done plugging things i don't ever want to hear about Meltzer ever again i feel like i need to block anybody who sends us Meltzer stuff so don't send us Meltzer stuff this week at least give us a week break yeah kj no kj's back next week on his best behavior um we've actually given him a leash we, ne- we, we Yeah, we, we said we weren't going to put anybody on leashes, but KJ requested one. Well, he is a bit of a freak. <laughs> okay. So moving on to freak on a leash. Moving on to some freaks. You sat down with some freaks this weekend. Well, I sat down with one freak and Eric Johnson. Oh, okay. Yes. That's really how that went. Um, I got, I had the opportunity to sit down with Eric Johnson, uh, the son of Danny Bullwhip Johnson, talk about his book that he has out right now. Um, if you haven't had a chance, go to Amazon, check it out. You're going to listen to all of this. And we have a special run in, uh, by our good friend, Harry D, uh, who joins us, uh, en route to wherever it was that he was going to tell some stories, some fantastic stories about, about, uh, uh about bullwhip, about Johnny canine, 
about the bushwhackers hanging out in the pool. Uh, it's it's fantastic. It is disclaimer, so disclaimer, disclaimer. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I got a loose no tongue, but it's it's good. It's good stuff. Absolutely. So I'm excited about it. I hope you all are too. Uh, for those of you listening to us here on your podcast providers. Not even a seam. It's going to go right into that. If you're watching this on YouTube, all y'all got to do, all y'all got to do is just once this is done, it stops. You go right back, boop, and you click on the very next one. It's that simple. It's and not while hard. You're clicking on that, click on the like and click on the comment section and click on the subscribe. Click on the little bell as to your notifications. Everything helps us grow. Thank you, everybody who actually has already done that. You guys are the best. You're helping us grow at a way more rapid pace than we ever thought we were going to. So, shouts out to you guys. Shouts out to everybody listening on SME Radio, any podcast provider that you're finding this on. Uh, we can't thank you enough. Like I said, do some ratings, do some likes. Give us, I don't give a shit what you do. I just love you guys for tuning in and putting up with us for this long. Chris, before we roll this right out, you got anything you want to say to these people? Tuck your chin, people. special friends you can catch greg and brad your smack daddies each weekend on the snme radio network we cover our lives what's happening on the east coast and eventually cover smackdown check us out each week at sundaynightsmainevent.com please subscribe to get your smack daddies and the rest of the snme radio network content directly to your podcatcher for less than a dollar a week we the ones It is that time again. You hear the lounge music. I mean, it can only mean one thing. It's time for TID's Kick in the Head right here on Live Audio Wrestling, The Law. And my guest this week, uh, maybe you don't know the first name, but you should know the last name, no doubt about it. If you know anything about your history of professional wrestling, you know the name Bullwhip Johnson. Danny Johnson is a guy that I met years and years ago before he, before he passed. And uh, I mean, one hell of a guy. One hell of a guy. I had the pleasure of meeting him through my trainer, Johnny Canine, and joining me now, his son, who has a book coming out, uh, who is actually a book out, I should say, Eric Johnson. Eric, thanks for joining us this week. How you doing, brother? Oh, this is great. I didn't know that uh, that you got trained by by uh, canine. That's great. That's <laughs> I got yeah. a lot of. I like you. I'm sure you have. I have a lot of Johnny Canine stories, and I was just a kid, <laughs> and they're all in the book actually to early pitch the book. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that's great. I, I, I every time I every time I hear Johnny Canine's name, I just start popping. I I love that guy so much. It was it was funny. My first day, my first day meeting him for training, um, and he said uh, because I came from I'm six foot four you know, 260 pounds at the time. Um, and he says to me, he says, uh, where do you come from? What do you know? Let's see how tough you are. Bam. Punches me right square in the mouth. Like, that was my first meeting with him. It was one of those, like, I'm a full grown man at the time. I'm not a child or anything. You know what I'm like? Mm, am I going to fight this guy right now? Like what's going on? You know what I mean? But I understood. I understand the business. And I understand where it was from. And it was, it was absolutely insane. And your dad very much cut from that same mold, that old school wrestler mentality. Um, 
tell me what prompted you to write the book first of all yes so it's been it's been quite a journey obviously you know growing up in the circus so to speak born into the industry and having this crazy childhood and uh having all these stories like you know canine coming by and you know it's all in the book but there you know canine came by and uh, our backyard got broken into and uh while we were away on vacation anyways we come back we see the backyards broken into my mom has to file a police report to go through the insurance so we had to call the cops at the same time johnny canine he's out on bail and he came by our house for a visit and at the same time one of the cops hamilton police showed up and saw canine's bike in our driveway now this guy had just blown up a police station in Sudbury, Ontario. So the the cop thought it was like a setup. He thought it was like, "Hey, come to this house in the suburbs," and then he walks in and gets you know shot in the back of the head like Goodfellas. Uh, so they called a SWAT team to our house. There was the big SWAT vans and eight cop cars, and they're digging through our house and going through. And Johnny just came by for a cup of coffee, and he's just sitting there. He goes, "How's it going, officer? How's it going?" And uh, he's sitting there drinking a coffee. So. This is my childhood. This is the life I was born into. This is the life I grew up with. Uh, and I had all these stories that I was telling with friends or anytime I go to a wrestling event, anyone who knew my dad and knew K9 and knew Harry D and all those guys. Um, and it was actually Greg Oliver, a legendary Canadian sports writer, obviously slam wrestling and all the books he's written. Um, he approached me and said, hey, there's a book here if you're interested. He goes, I know so much about your grandfather. I know so much about your dad. You know, I worked with your dad, and, and I, I interviewed him a few times for Dewey Robertson's book and stuff. He goes, I have all this background information, and now I'm seeing your rise in, in show business as an actor and as a stand-up comic, as a professional MC. And he goes, if we just piece this together, we've got a book. Um, so what, what Greg Oliver did, and he had a, he had an assistant by the name of Joe Cacharo, um, they went in and they handled the who, what, where, when, why, who happened, who booked it, what were their, what was their name, what was their gimmick, what city was it in, and, uh, there he is, Harry D. I had to go to school to learn how to fucking turn the phone on. <laughs> hot intro, he's hot. Um, oh, man. <laughs> ring, ring the bell. <laughs> um but anyway so then so greg you know went through and did all this research so he writes the first half of every chapter uh handles all the information and then the second half of every chapter is called eric's bull and it's my experience with it what my experience was like with johnny canine coming by or with the bushwhacker swimming in our pool and being at all the indie shows every weekend and and it's just kind of my experience and my point of view. So we put those two together and we have a book and it's 270 pages. So that's how we got there. That's insane. I mean, the fact that like, you know, you, you hear the stories and obviously there's got to be so much more to the life, right? Because there's, the, there's a family outside of what anybody knows inside of the ring. You know what I mean? And what you see with the performers and what you see with the wrestlers and what you see on the road. But there's also a family life. Outside of yeah. that, there's they, they have to go home to somebody. There's a wife, there's kids, you know, hopefully. Um, yeah. and, and, and and the fact that, like, I've only, I've met your dad a couple of times early on in my career, right? Um, always fantastic human being to me, you know, 100%. Um, I'm interested, you said, you said that the bushwhackers swimming in the pool. <laughs> I can only imagine the mayhem that those two idiots would have caused in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. I love them to death. They'll get it twisted. But, and, yeah. and, you know, so like what, 
what's it like when you're growing up and you have to tell your friends who your dad is and who he hangs out with? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty evident in our neighborhood. My dad was a, a local celebrity, especially in Stony Creek in the Hamilton area. And he and him and Harry used to run all the shows of the Kiwanis Club in the East End of Hamilton. And, you know, they did a bunch of shit. So, you know, uh, everyone kind of knew my dad already. You know, I, there was times, like I wrote in the book, where, you know, I was the wrestler's kid. And I always won the my dad can beat up your dad, you know, arguments on the playground. <laughs> Um, you know, and if kids ever, I had a kid shoot on me in grade two because I wore an NWO t-shirt to school and he actually broke my collarbone. And, uh, then my dad showed up to pick me up from school and he gets out of his big truck and he's standing there and he's waving me over and he made, and he made sure the whole school could see that I, that bullwhip was my dad. Um, and it would be hilarious. You know, my dad coming to parent teacher interviews and stuff like that. And he'd be wearing his own bullwhip shirt. And, and, uh, he lived his, you know, he, a lot of guys live their gimmick. And I think my dad lived the celebrity side of his gimmick, but him being a heel, you know, in the stage, you know, out there on the, you know, in the ring, um, he was a heel, but I would say my dad was like a funny heel. You know what I mean? Almost like the stone cold rock style heel where it was, he was very healy and he did some dirty stuff and, you know, he always got disqualified using the whip and stuff like that, but he was funny. He always made the audience laugh. He always made the crowd laugh. Um, so he was very much just the funny guy, but you know, the opposite of living his gimmick is he was so nice to everyone. He was so generous with everyone. You know, he, he helped Harry break into the business. He helped so many wrestlers break in and gave a lot of them their first shots. And a lot of them, you know, made sure that they got paid properly and all that kind of stuff. Even when he wasn't making any money, you know, I remember I wrote in the book, I remember at times specifically, I was standing at the cash out box with him and he paid Steve Oceanside in a mitt full of rolled up quarters. And it was like 50 bucks on top of what he was already paying him, but he gave it to him in quarters. And, uh, you know, my dad always say, you know, the bull never stiffs nobody. Bull never stiffs nobody. And even if he didn't make any money. So, you know, that translating into the into the community, into the people around us and, you know, having Johnny again, Johnny Canine come by the pool or by the house and in the pool and and Farmer Pete was always around. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't I didn't know that other kids just didn't have midgets at their house every day. I just didn't know that I just, it was just part of my life you know what i mean like i, I would go i'm like so did you guys have the bushwhackers and midgets at your pool this weekend um but i remember specifically the bushwhackers because they came in when they were trying to bring back the icw in the late 90s in uh 98 99 and and they booked mm -hmm. the bushwhackers to come in and they were staying somewhere a hotel in hamilton whatever but then my dad said hey i got a pool you guys should come by for some beers my dad always had a cooler full of beer uh, and you know, so they came by and I remember they, we, I'll never forget it. We did a whirlpool in the pool. We had a big above ground circular pool and the guys were going through the whirlpool doing their gimmick as they're going around <laughs> the waves. It was crazy. I, I totally remember that. So yeah, I just had a different childhood than everybody else, but it helped make me the man and entertainer and worker that I am today. So I, I value it so much. There was no, there was never any problems. I mean, even when Johnny Kane and I had the cops at our house, it was still funny. We all laughed about it after. You know what I mean? It was never that sad or angry or anything like that. Um, Harry, uh, tell me about the first time you met Bullwhip Johnson. First time I met Bullwhip Johnson was at the Chin Picnic. Uh, I was with Jumpin' Jay, and uh, they were all sitting in the picnic area where Tony had would, would have the guys. Uh, Tony used to not to veer off there. Tony used to take care of the guys quite a bit, and he'd had a, a section where he'd give us, or give the boys at the time, uh, free barbecue, free beers. So everybody was kind of in the picnic area, and I went over there, and uh, that's where I, I got introduced to the crew for, by Jumpin' Jay, and uh, 
Danny just happened to be there. We were talking and found out he's a Hamilton guy. And then um, uh, just meeting him in the local shows after that. I believe the next time I seen him after that was for a Nick DiCarlo show. Actually, I'm sorry. That Nick DiCarlo show was prior to the Chin Picnic before I was actually introduced to him. It was on Queen Street. I don't recall the name of the the hall, but they used to run there at one time. And Nick DiCarlo was there. He had that show. And Danny was on the show. Ocean, uh, the Canadian Giant, and a bunch of them. And I got to meet them. That was the first time I actually got to meet, to meet the local crew there. And then when uh, we were at the Chin Picnic, I recognized that I had already met him and a few of the other guys. And uh, we talked from there. And then, lo and behold, shortly after that, uh, they uh, ripped the curtain and let me in. <laughs> and then, And then there you were, turning a blind eye. For all the shenanigans, and then oh. still disqual everything the guy does for you, you disqualify him match after match after match. <laughs> oh no, I let him use the whip all the time. I just <laughs> like I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, he, he was, he was, he was awesome. I were I worked with him outside of actually be uh, repping him as well. I worked at the group home with him as well, so we were actually shift partners. So we spent a lot of time together. Like we'd be at the at the group home. Basically, instead of taking care of the kids, then letting the kids listen to us set the show up. You know, we would spend hours. Well, we're going to do this. We're going to have the kids help us poster, uh, take the kids to the Kiwanis Club, and we'd use it as an outing. But we would poster the whole street and you know get the building all set up for free using the kids. That's amazing. <laughs> you teach the life skills, but you're putting them to work. That sounds exactly like something like that. He was awesome. Oh, he was it, awesome. I, it, I mean, like we. Our, our night shifts were was was always wrestling. Like it would always be VHS tapes of different events or whatever, and the kid, all the kids loved it, right? I mean, uh, the kids were all uh, 90%, 99% of them would have been wrestling fans, so uh, they could relate with any of the stories that that Dan would tell or I was telling, and we would sit there and and uh, have big bonfires and listen to Dan tell stories, and he was always like the center of attention. He always had, you know, and and it didn't matter what story he was telling, everybody would listen because you knew they were always good. <laughs> Eric, did you ever have a did you ever have a moment as a kid and being the 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 child of a professional wrestler? At what point did did the curtain have to get pulled back for you, or did it ever get pulled back for you? Yeah, it was it was interesting for me because I, I always understood that it was a business, right? And I always understood that you know I, I didn't necessarily know that maybe the matches were premature or predetermined. I remember being mad every time my dad would use the whip. Like, cause I'd be like, you were winning. Like you could have gone over clean and then you fucked it all up. Like I remember being like, you know, seven, eight years old and being mad that he got disqualified. You know, later years you, you learn, you know, that's, that's the, how the way the, the match was supposed to go. And uh, as much as Harry didn't want to disqualify him, he had to, that was how the program was going. But you know, for me, the the biggest thing for me was the injuries. You know, I, I wrote in the book, you know, my job when my dad came home from the road is my job was to rub A535 on his back all the time because he was a big man. He's 6'5", 275, right? So he was like a big canvas. And, and I said, and I wrote, I wrote in the book, I was like a cabana boy, but my hands were numb because I always was rubbing A535 on him and he'd be covered in bruises and uh, you know, the time that Angelo Mosca Jr. broke his ribs and, uh, you know, all that stuff. That was real. To me, that was the realest part of wrestling because, you know, I'd see him hobbling around the house and I'd see him trying to shake it off because he, you know, when he wasn't working the ring, he was working regular jobs. He's driving truck. He's working at the group home. He's doing landscaping. He's doing asphalt. He's doing snow removal. So 
you know, he'd get up from a weekend of matches where they were Ajax or, you know, Kingston, wherever they were. And then Monday morning, he was back to work. And I remember him just, you know, he was he would always try to no-sell everything, that he was never hurt. But I knew he was hurt, even as a kid, you know. Um, you know, he'd always say to me, boy, you can't hurt the body of a wrestler. You can't hurt the body of a wrestler. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that was that. But then, you know, again, there'd be him and K-9 I knew were best friends. I knew they were best friends because K-9, when he wasn't in jail, he was at our house almost every day. <laughs> And then, you know, and then they would be working against each other and pretending to hate each other. So in that way, I knew I'm like, no, they're actually buddies. They're just doing a show, you know, in that way. But I thought, you know, a lot of the moves and the punches and the and it, again was all real, uh, you know, which it is in many ways, especially how stiff my dad worked. You know, Ricky Johnson still tells stories about how stiff my dad was and and oh, yeah. uh, everybody. He used to beat the shit out of everybody. He was stiff because my dad didn't have much. You know, he was an he was an athlete, but he didn't go. He never went to the top rope. He never, you know, he never did any high spots. So his style was that brawler style. So it was always big, you know, elbows across the back and all kinds of shit. He did do a couple spots, but then he, when he did them, he'd say to me, "I only do them." Well, right after he did, I look at him, I go, fuck, that was pretty good. Yeah, only for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the people who pay the most, he gets the highest spots. Right. But, you know, you also got to remember, it was a time when there wasn't high spots being done. Like, there, there, that style of wrestling wasn't a thing. You know, it wasn't until, like, later on after, you know, because especially he would have learned from your grandfather, and there mm -hmm. was no freaking spots being done back then it was kick punch headlock takeover was a finishing move oh, you know yeah. what i mean for the longest time back then so so the 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 character the character of your of your dad was able to shine even more i yeah. think right because it wasn't like oh that guy who does the inverted 450 screw job whatever the fucking <laughs> thing is you know what i mean like that that's not a thing but you knew you knew when the big guy came down to the ring and he had that whip with him. You knew when, when you know, Tiger Jeet Singh was swinging that sword through the crowd. You knew when these guys were around. As soon as they would come out and, and you were like, I'm going to back the F up. You know what I mean? Like that, that was the kind of, that was the kind of, 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 of command that your dad had in, as far as the crowd goes. Then back behind the curtain, completely different guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even I knew that. You know? And it was funny because he was old school, and I remember specifically a time they were working out in Paris, Ontario, or something, a big a potato patch or whatever they were doing. Who knows? And uh, I remember we'd, we'd always travel up to the shows together. I'd be in the car with me, my mom, my sister, my dad, you know, the weekend trips and stuff. And I remember we'd get there, um, and we'd have the whole card right up there and then he'd get out of the car or he'd let us out of the car and then he'd pull up and then once he got out of the car and he was on the area where the event was he no longer knew us he were i was no longer his son i was no longer my, my mom was no longer his wife he was bullwhip he lived his gimmick where anyone could see him if, if, if a ticket taker saw him he'd have a whip in his hand you know what i mean and then I remember being his kid, not understanding. I'd be like, "Dad, Dad," and he'd be like, "Kayfabe, Kayfabe." He'd kind of shove me away, <laughs> and uh, and I couldn't understand. It. And then I went, "Oh, he's at work right now. This is his work, you know." And and uh, um, and then we'd all be back in the car, 
And then it'd be like, all right. Then we talked about our favorite parts of the match. And then they would just talk about regular life. So my mom would be like, you know, pork chops are on sale. And we got to go get those on Tuesday if we want to eat those on Wednesday. Like, it would just be right back to normal work. Like, we're back we're back to normal life. We're like the Griswolds all over again. <laughs> but when he was at anywhere on the premise, you know, it was the premises he was bull with. And, you know, that was – except for his buddies backstage and Harry and all those guys. And, you know, the, the thing that excites me the most, which makes me laugh so much – is the stuff that he would say to Harry while he was working in the ring because <laughs> he was, he was really... fucking insane. And Harry could tell some, but yeah, it was just, I always find that so interesting because you could never tell he was talking, but you would see Harry just his shoulders were going because he's trying not to laugh. Uh, but yeah, like Harry, what was kind of some of the things he said to you? Oh, you name it. Like he would carry a lot of stuff. Like we, we might have been working together at the group home the day before, so he might be carrying some shit over from that day. And he liked to always use this one line. Uh, he'd look for somebody with a giant nose. And I don't know why he'd say to me, oh, look at the chick in the front nose. What a fucking hot dude was on her. And I'd, just be like, oh. <laughs> I'd, I'd be checking his boot and he'd be like fucking saying shit like that. And, you know, he'd uh, um, look at that asshole over there. You know, or, I mean, just uh, making fun of the audience and doing everything. And, and in hindsight now, it would be more so, I think, to calm himself down Yeah. Um, before the match. That was his way of kind of winding down, and he would like, kind of, here you you deal with it, kind of thing. Get try and get me to crack up or whatever. And and again, even with him too, I I know and I can't remember which actual show it was, but there's a couple videos where I get him back, and his his actual Eric will remember this. All you hear is a ha ha, and then he'll turn away, and I, I cracked him back, right? So um, yeah, he was great. Or even the times when he was mad, he wouldn't even get mad. He'd try and make it funny, like. There was a time where we were at uh, Jumping Jay's gym, and he was wrestling against this guy who was like a ultimate warrior knockoff, big muscle guy, and he was shit. But he was who Whip was working with him, and uh, he's telling me to ring the fucking bell. This guy's green like his fucking makeup, and he's just punching <laughs> like the makeup off me. And I'm trying so hard not to laugh, like. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he would do shit like that all the time, but that was just him being bold. Like, when, when uh, that match when Mosca broke his ribs, um, that, <laughs> that was at the Boys and Girls Club. And uh, if I recall correctly, uh, Whip grabbed uh, Mosca Jr.'s arms and uh, Jet Star grabbed the whip and he popped him. And I didn't actually see him connect and hit the tooth, but from where I was, I could tell that. That looked like it was stiff, and what I what I could tell was when I realized that what had happened was uh, Mosca's reaction. Because then he looked down, and when he looked up, he was missing his front chiclet, right? So, <laughs> and he was hot, and and we worked with Edge too. Edge worked for the same company in another facility, so we are all like friends outside of work as well. And this is Edge Junior's first match in a million years, like since he was with the NWA, I think, or even when he was working with Bearman and stuff before he he had retired. So. We had coaxed him into coming back, so you know it was a big deal to have him on the card, and his old man was there too. And uh, he uh, he went to the back. He was so pissed off. And Whip looks at me, goes, "Here, tell him to come back out here. Come back out. The crowd's hot." And I'm like, "Okay." So I walk <laughs> in the dressing room, and I open the door, and Mosk is just fucking on fire, right? And I says, uh, "Edge, Whip, Whip wants you to come back out and do something." And, Fuck that! I'm not fucking going out there! He's going, just going crazy. So I come back out and I go, 
uh, yeah, he says, did you tell him? I said, yeah, he told me to tell you to fuck off. He's not coming back out. Okay, well, that fucks that spot up. That was basically, <laughs> that was basically it. You know, yeah, he was awesome. He'd, he'd make light of whatever. I mean, you, you can't really do anything to change it. Uh, he would always, I mean, he was always serious, but I, he wouldn't let shit like that hold him back. The match still has to go on. We still got to give everybody their money's worth, and he'd do what he can to, you know, to make it work. Just like that time he knocked that mask off the kid. You know? Oh, yeah, Ian, Ian Hacker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Ian W. Hacker. Yeah. Remember, because that was the thing, and we would always bug him. It's like, wait a second, your name is Ian Wacker? What the fuck kind of name is this, kid? Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget that. He's messaged me a couple times over the years when different posts come online or whatever about that, yep. that show. And uh, he's, he was good about it. I mean, I've never... I didn't even know what to do. I mean, he hit him so hard his mask fell off. I just threw his mask back to him. I, what the, I, here, put it back on. I don't know. What are we going to do here? Like, hide your face, you know? I remember well, what I did. I remember what I did. I was back. I was backstage because we were waiting because that was the that Hamilton show or whatever, yeah, right? Hamilton Convention, Convention Center. Center. Yeah, May first, yeah, nineteen May first, nineteen ninety nine. Unbelievable. I was on that show, oh, and great. I rem- I remember being backstage and laughing my ass off because oh, was- Green Kid. Ian didn't know what to do. You could tell at some point Danny was just getting more and more pissed at this guy as the second floor. So stiff. Oh, oh. So stiff. oh, yeah. That video is crazy. <laughs> that video, someone put it on YouTube recently. I watch it often because technically I call that my dad's last match ever. But then I found a video of him wrestling in Ajax the night after on May 2nd. But yeah, there was nobody there. It doesn't really count for me. Because so May 1st, we were all there. My entire family. My mom brought a bunch of people from the bank where she was working. And, you know, it felt like the entire east end of Hamilton was there. Even though the event didn't sell out, it wasn't crazy. But everyone pushed up to the front. It looked good. They filmed it. He had that heat with Bubba O'Neill, who I see all the time, Bubba, with all my stuff at CH and CH and stuff. But, um you know, watching that, it was a squash. Like, my dad beat the shit out of him. He didn't get – that Ian Hacker didn't get a single piece of offense in. My dad didn't let him look good at all. He just squashed him, bulldogged him, pinned him, and then cut a promo and got the fuck well, out of Dodge. Well, it was the I, best I, thing. I can let you in on something. That was basically how he called the match in the back before he went out. Yep. Is, what are we doing? He's not getting fuck all. Okay. Yep. i remember i remember us all standing around and and hearing that and johnny was there he's like don't you give that kid a goddamn thing (laughs) (laughs) he gave him nothing nothing but a bunch of stiff shots that's what he gave he he hits him across the back with a forearm at one point it's like harry when he hit you you thought his arm was going to come out your chest after he hit you on the back we're we're at we're at the group home one day and he's trying to break in remember paul mark uh, Paul Markowski. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. big Paul. Uh, Paul was a power lifter. Uh, yep. Like, I'd say six one, six two, and a solid two fifty, and and always in shape. And uh, uh, he did a lot of asphalt work with Whip on the side. So they were together all the time. So Whip, you know, trying to brainwash him to break him in the business. So we we're at the, out, out at the side of the group home by the pond one time. He goes, "Well, you know, it don't hurt." And he takes me over and turns me around. So he wants to show Markowski. He says, "You know." You hit him with this the meat part of your forearm, you know, you're kind of protecting the guy. He goes, I'll show you. And he hit me in the back of the fucking shoulder blades. I'm telling you, I could have took fingerprints from my chest. <laughs> just fucking. Well, and I'm look, I'm looking at him and he it hurts so much I couldn't even tell him to fuck off. Like I'm like, 
What's the matter? I'm like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, well, no wonder everybody fucking bitches when you hit them. Like, holy Christ. You know? yeah, and you weren't, just... you weren't, you weren't nearly as jacked as you are now, Harry. And you're half, oh, it, you're half a fucking bullwhip size. He killed me. But, but you know, to be honest with you, other than not being able to breathe, and there's no way by my facial reaction he couldn't tell. I pretended like, oh yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> it killed me. It killed me. Eric, <laughs> uh, yeah. your biggest memory of your dad? Yeah, I mean, I remember two versions of my dad. I remember Bullwhip, and I remember Dan. And you know, I, my dad was was my hero still is my hero my if you know me and follow me you know that my entire kind of brand is that i'm bullwhip's son you know and but this book has really helped me kind of step out of that shadow i wrote in the book i said i feel like i've been living in the shadow of a man who hasn't cast a shadow in 20 years you know the way i deal with the fact that my dad is gone is because is the way i do it is some people don't do it some people you hear their 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 dad passes away and you don't even know they don't even talk about it they have no they have, and not that they had bad blood or anything with their dad. It just that was just part of their life, and they've moved on from that part of their life. Right. I made a promise to my dad on his deathbed that I was going to speak his name every day, and said I was going to keep your name alive. You know, and now I've journeyed into show business, and I've really made that my whole gimmick. My whole gimmick is that. Um, so in that way, I'm constantly remembering my dad. I'm constantly bringing him up. I'm constantly, you know, with I'm where I, all my merch is about his stuff. I got the Bulls gym t-shirts and stuff. And, you know, that way I keep those memories alive. So they're always constant. So it's hard to find one. You know what I mean? But um, I think my biggest wrestling memory of him was that match we were just talking about with Ian Hacker. Because I was about, if it was 1999, I was nine years old. You know, I'm old enough to be smart enough to the business, but I'm still young to have that little magic around it. Um, everybody was there, and it was a squash match, and he beat the shit out of this guy and proved that he was the strongest guy, and he was the best wrestler in town, and he was there to prove it. And, you know, he had taken some time off because he had some health issues, so then he came back. And, you know, he was tanned, and he was jacked, and he shaved the head, and he had the whips. He looked good. He sounded good. He was good on the mic. You know, so that is my favorite, you know, live memory. And then the memories I have of, like, of more current stuff is I can find stuff online. Like, when I found all those matches of him working for International with Bill Irwin as the long riders, when I found those on YouTube, I started to bawl because I had never seen those before. It's like it's like I'm creating new memories, you know, that I that some some guy filmed and put on YouTube and it's terrible quality and it cuts out halfway and it gets all scrambled and there's a promo they're doing. You can see that Whip's trying to get his his promo in, but Bill Irwin's taking the mic and you can see my dad trying to get in and all those things are like memories that existed a long time ago, but they're new memories for me because now I'm finding them and now I'm discovering them. And, you know, with the process of writing the book, too, with Greg, like, he's telling me stories where I'm listening to, because Greg recorded every interview, and he interviewed everybody, all my dad's friends, all the old wrestlers, <laughs> Ricky Johnson, Farmer Pete, obviously Harry, and to listen back, it's like I'm reliving it, you know, through the stories of other guys, you know, and some stories I've never heard before. I mean, I thought I knew everything about my dad. I thought I had heard everything, seen everything, heard every story, and I had maybe 10% of it. And getting that new information while doing this book has been life-changing. And it's now my time to step out of the shadow and create my own world and my own reality and my own, 
you know, business because my career's taken off. I, all my shows are selling out. I'm touring all across Canada. I'm on TV shows. I'm on morning TV. Now it's my time to create these memories that I can give to my kid, which we're trying to have now. So, you know what I mean? It's just like that whole cyclical, beautiful thing. And it's, I'm really, I'm the most at peace with this story right now. You know, I, I, I struggled for many, many years losing my dad. And now that the book is out and my career's taken off and I'm, I have the relationships with people like Harry and even Farmer Pete, that asshole, you know what I mean? I, I to, have the, <laughs> to have those relationships now and to be, you know, healing for someone like Harry. You know, when I see Harry and he sees me, we both pop. We both light up because we are both living in this, hey, we're, now our worlds are together. And that is the most special thing for me of all of this, you know, is to be Bullwhip's son who's doing his own thing, but still gets to live the life that his dad lived. And that is, again, the I, I gave you a very long answer to a very short question, but I have a lot to say about this because it's just so fucking important to me. And, uh, yeah. But see, your your story, your story actually started a long time ago, and the correlation between like wrestling wasn't just the fact that you are the son of a wrestler yeah. stuff that you've done in your past. Like for example, working on splat a lot. Yeah. One of the guys you work with on splat a lot happens to be good friend of, of mine and everybody in the wrestling business, AEW, you know, now AEW superstar one RJ city, yeah. you know, you guys kind of, so like everybody forgets that the world isn't that big. It, it yeah. really isn't. And when you look at the wrestling business part uh, of the world, it gets even smaller. Yeah. Uh, I've said this. I've said this to Harry before is the fact that like he needs to sit down someday and write a book about the people that he's been in there with, because every wrestler only gets to be in there with one person throughout the night, maybe three other people. If they're in a tag match throughout the night, Harry's been in there with everybody. And Harry's yeah. probably got more dirt on all of these guys. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I stopped talking. To this. That's why I stopped talking to this prick. Because <laughs> I, can, I, can make, I can make Vince McMahon look like an angel right now with the stories. Right now. <laughs> Legit. Same amount of uh, shit. Can I, I add something to what Eric was saying? So Please. I, re I recall vividly, and I can take you to the spot in his parents' living room, exactly to that spot where I was there with Jumpin' Jay. On more than one occasion, we're going... And Eric would have, like, all his wrestling figures, right? And Bull would always tease him because Jay and I would always be smoking and Bull never did. So we'd always say some, something and, and, like, if we fucked something up, he would, Dan would look at us and say, don't drop the pipe. Oh, did you forget the pipe? Did you, you know? So all of a sudden, Eric would come up to me and Jay, you guys smoke a Rodney? And we'd be like, oh, my God. He's, <laughs> like, he's like three, four years old. So his dad would say to me, you know, Harry? This kid's going to be a stand-up comedian. And he would go into this routine, and he he would do, like, comedy and, and TV from long before Eric was ever. Like, he would be doing Humphrey Bogart and doing imitations and stuff. So he'd go to – and I remember he was saying he'd be at a family party, and Eric would be the center of attention putting on a show for everybody. And, again, that was – he was maybe three years old, and I vividly remember his old man saying, this kid's going to be a stand-up comedian. And we, when we connected, that's the very first thing I said to him. I said, man, you, your old man hit that, like, right on the head. It was perfect. And he was right. <laughs> that's, 
That's amazing. Yeah. Well, when the apple fell from the uh, when the apple fell from the tree, it fell straight down. And you know, I could have easily, and if I was interested, and I still am, I still lust over the idea of becoming a wrestler. Every time I'm close to a wrestling ring, I look at it and I go, "Oh yeah, I should. I should start. I should start training. I should. I gotta get in there. I gotta. I, you know, even if I just work one match, I'll work one match. I'll I'll do one. It'll be in Hamilton. Harry can ref it. Then he can retire the old bastard. He can finally be done with the whole thing. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you know, you, you do that. I'm good with hanging them up. <laughs> so you know i think about that often but you know was stand-up comedy destined for me maybe did i make the choice to go out and chase it yes but you know stand-up comedy wasn't always in the plan i wanted to be an actor i wanted to be a film actor that what i went to film school to become a film actor and it was when i was in film school i signed up for my very first open mic on november 1st 2010 and i have not stopped since now I do over 150 shows a year, travel from, you know, all over North America, perform at the Laugh Factory, the Comedy Store. I've opened for Russell Peters. I've opened for Sebastian Maniscalco. I do all my own headlining tours. I'm about to do 75 across Canada. You know what I mean? And they're all going to be sold out. I, I already know some of them might struggle, some of the small towns. Actually, some of the big towns might struggle because I always smell out, uh, sell out small towns. My dad always used to say, you know, it's easy to sell out when you're the only thing happening in town. And, uh, you know, so... <laughs> You know, I've made this decision and it's working and I have all of these stories. I talk about my dad on stage. I talk about my childhood on stage, you know, and it's and and I have so much perspective. So, yeah, it was, you know, you're born into it, but you make the decision and I've really gone for it. And I've gone for it to the level that my dad went for it with wrestling. Like my dad didn't make it to the level he wanted, but he fucking went for it. And that is the most important thing for me because I watched him. I watched my dad go for it and somewhat fail, and it crushed him. So for me, I'm going for it, and failure is not an option. No matter what it takes, I don't have the same problems my dad had with alcohol and addiction and mental health. I don't have that, thank God. But that's that's the only thing that would slow me down, and I don't have that. So I'm going to make it. I'm going over. I know for a fact I'm going over. I just... I'm doing a little bit at a time in different shows in different places, but I intend on being the biggest comic in the world, and I'm not going to stop until I'm there. So, you know, that's that's my big uh, come to Jesus speech at the end here. But <laughs> I, I I actually have no idea how long this thing is, but uh, uh, yeah, that, that's what I mean. Have you ever have you ever taken a bump, Eric? In the ring? actually, yeah, not in the ring, but I did an episode of Tales from the Territories, and uh, and I'm working with uh, Evan and the guys from from Dark Side of the Ring. And uh, it was really great experience. And actually, I, the day I filmed was July 20th, which was my dad's death anniversary. That just happened to be the day they had me on set. Anyway, so I was playing a biker, uh, Frank Dillinger, of the Chain Gang. And, uh, and uh, I took a huge bump uh, with a pool cue. It's supposed to be across the back, but the guy missed his spot and hit me right in the back of the head and broke a pool cue over the back of my head. And it was it was rigged, but it was rigged just with super glue. So it was still a very active pool cue. Actually, if you go to the, the to click on Tales of the Territory on Bell Five TV, the screen grab is me getting hit in the back of the head with that pool cue. <laughs> and you know, I worked with Santino on a couple occasions, and the Japanese wrestler that he works with, I can't remember his name right now. Um, <laughs> And he did a hip a hit hip toss on me, and I took it like a champ. Even Santino went, "Wow, you you took that really well." He goes, "You got that bread into you." I had my feet up, had my hands down when I hit, and he goes, "He goes, you you train?" I go, "No, I've never trained before." He goes, "Well, you got it in you. You took that bump like a champ." And uh, so I've taken a couple, but we'll see. Well, I might take many more. I don't know. Who knows? Just give him the same answer your dad did. I, I only do it for people. 
Exactly. I only do it when the when the when the pay's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Trust me. After 26 years of doing it myself, I took definitely far too many fucking bumps. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you did. You crazy bastard. <laughs> Eric, uh, the book is out, right? Yeah. Yep. Where can everybody get a hold of this thing? So it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's called Run With. Actually, here, I'll show your your, your viewers. Uh, it's called Run With the Bull, Three Generations of Sports and Entertainment, uh, written by Eric Johnston, Greg Oliver, and Joe Cacharo. Um, it's available on Amazon, uh, and it's doing really well on Amazon, but now I'm shifting my focus to sell physical copies at shows, at wrestling events, at book signings. I'm setting up a thing at Indigo, chapters here in Hamilton. Uh, it's going into libraries. I've been really pushing it to do alternative stuff other than Amazon. Cause to be honest, Bezos has taken a big cut of this book. <laughs> you know what I mean, like it's 25 bucks. I see $4 of every purchase. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, I'm now, if I have the physical copies, I can sell them for, you know, a higher, higher amount and make some more money. But really I'm just happy to get the story out there. Anyone who's read this book fucking loves it and not, they don't even have to be connected to the story to love it. You know, I have people who have bought in the book who didn't know my dad, aren't wrestling fans, but they just knew me or know me and my journey. And they said it's one of the most beautiful things they've ever read in their life. Because I don't shy away from anything. I talk about wrestling. I talk about alcoholism. I talk about losing a parent. I talked about my struggles, my journey into show business. It's all there. It's, it's all there. I didn't leave anything out. I didn't shy away from anything. And that's the way I wanted to do it. So that's why I think people are responding it because the truth in any business is what's going to rise to the top. The truth is always going to be, you know, the best gimmicks are based on truth. You know, the best, the best things are based on truth. And the book is all true. The whole, there's not one bullshit line in this entire book. I mean, maybe some of the stuff my dad said, but other than that, it's, uh, <laughs> it's all there. That's amazing. And if people want to, uh, you know, because you're to find out what shows you're going to be out to find out where they can find these physical copies, if they don't want to give Bezos any of that money, how can they get a hold of you? So everything is very simple. It's Eric Johnston, who Eric with a C Johnston with a T W H O. That's my website. That's my Instagram. That's my Facebook. Uh, you go to my website, you go to stand up, you'll see all my upcoming tour dates. And I've got about 75 of them on the books right now. I got two shows tonight. You know what I mean? So it's just, I'm just going to be out there and, uh, and working, working the road for the next three months and then come home and hopefully take the summer off. And me and Harry will be floating in my pool, smoking Rodney's. That's the plan. Uh -huh. <laughs> we don't need to wait for your pool for that kid <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't know if you've noticed the weather outside uh, <laughs> it's already very nice even this time of year and, and of course the hustle never ends i mean as we see right now harry on his way to a show i would assume you know right I now actually my apologies to you guys because when you see me moving around a little while ago, I literally had to sneak up and punch out out of work without them knowing I was leaving. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm on my way to uh, Oshawa for a Destiny show, and I believe Eric's going to be uh, doing uh, uh, selling books at the Destiny show in Mississauga next month, Eric. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I don't even know Mar what the date is, but March something. I can double check. Yeah, March third, uh, Sunday, March third. I will yeah, be I selling books and signing books at the Destiny show at the Don Kolov Arena. Correct. Amazing. Amazing. And Harry, no, I mean, not that people care about getting a hold of you, but you know, if they <laughs> want to. Can I add one quick bullet story before we please? Go? Sure, Absolutely. Please. This, this isn't one that a lot of people know, but uh, the second WCW legend show, like the first one, Whip worked with K9. Okay. That was mm -hmm. uh, Dan's last 
big arena show mm-hmm. uh, and canines as well. And uh, like that was the Hamilton boys. Like we were like having fun because we knew that we were only there because of Tony Parisi. Let's be realistic. But uh, the look in his eye, like that night, like I said, I, I, I mean, he was definitely in his element. They, they were having fun. Um, we were in Buffalo, a War Memorial Auditorium the first year. And uh, when we came out, like I had done the match with the link before, but when I got to come out with Dan and, and K9, it was a little bit different. Like I said, it was even, I even had to take a second to catch my breath. You know what I mean? Like they say, uh, in, smell the roses while you go out and stuff like that. It was like, I kept saying, like, it was one of those, I can't fucking believe I'm here. You're looking around, right? Well, we went out, um, and you know the way your dad was. Uh, I said to him, I go, bro, there's fucking Jim Kelly sitting in the front row. And he goes, and he just looks at me, goes, oh, where you follow me? And I just fucking go out of the ring, and there's Dan goes up to the front row and starts chirping Jim Kelly, who immediately on cue stands up and wants to go. So K9 comes running over, and I'm holding him back, and I look up, and all I can see is me, K9, whip Jim Kelly on the jumble screen. And I said to K9, and it's an end to your dad, don't move. He goes, why? I says, we're on the big screen. So you fucking mark. So we're fighting back and forth, right? And we had a blast. We laughed. Uh, uh, that's the story where when we come back, uh, Johnny was retarded at the border. Well, we went back the, the next year. I want to fast forward. Uh, Dan had come because uh, there was no match, but he was being honored as one of the in-ring legends. And uh, he said to me, and, and you know your dad doesn't like taking pictures, right? Like with other wrestlers and stuff. That He was old school. Like I, I actually had my camera in the dressing room and got a picture with him. And Bruno San Martino, because, and with K9 too, because they would not have asked. But when I said, you guys want a picture, they were both, and you can tell by the, the look in both their eyes, they were like, you know, a kid meeting Santa Claus, right? Yeah, yeah. So when when he said to me, Harry, do me a favor, do you mind taking my picture when I'm in the ring? Because they were giving him a little plaque. I was like, like honored. Because I knew, you know, these guys don't take pictures. They used to give me shit for wanting to take pictures. Like, these guys don't take pictures, right? So I took that picture for him. Well, when we were in the back and I had had my match, and like you said before, your dad was like main, one of the main reasons that I got in this business and at the beginning helped me more than anybody else. And uh, he said, uh, we're in the back, and you know who Gary uh, Gary Jester is? I don't know. Uh, he was an office guy for WCW, WWE. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So he had come up to me after my, my match, and uh, I had just finished working with Dory Funk and Greg Valentine, Brito and Parisi, and uh, I'm sitting down kind of just like taking it all in, and he walked up. I was there with your dad, and he walked up. He said to me, he goes, do me a favor. Don't get changed. We're going to need you to do another match. And he walked out the door, and uh, I remember your dad saying to me, see, that's exactly how it fucking happened. Just because we are here, we got to thank Parisi. And like I said, I can hear him saying that now. Like, it was like pretty cool yeah that's just one of those ones that i don't tell very many people that one but he was he was fucking such a good guy just so many people like you said right so when he when eric said he was doing that book it was like i I, it was like if you i was to go back you know at that time when he was three and you were to say to me the kid's gonna write a book about his dad i would have said yeah i believe you (laughs) right you know what i mean not that i'm i'm happy but i wasn't surprised but it's such a good story and the way he tells it, it's like you can't not like it. You don't have to be a wrestling fan. You just if if everybody's part of a family, 
That's a family mm-hmm. story. It just happens that wrestling and comedy is part of it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. for myself, here's one of the things, and I love reading history on wrestling, especially. Like, you know, like I never knew Bear Man, right? But Drawing Heat is such a fantastic book to read. Um, so I can only imagine, you know, it, it, it all comes from that same kind of era. What do you yeah. think your dad would have said to you, Eric, if you told him, I'm going to write a book about you? Oh, fuck. He, well, he would have he tried to kayfabe his emotions about it, but I know he'd be really excited. I know, like, I remember I was in grade two or three, and I we had public speaking. We had a... Uh, we had a, you know, you do a speech and you present it to the school and it goes to different levels and you compete against all the other grades and blah, 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 blah. And I did my speech on my dad, the wrestler. And I remember him and I sat in our living room and he just started listing names, locations, injuries, high spots, low spots. He talked about Japan. He talked about everything. That's the biggest thing is I think when my dad realized that his career was coming to an end, I think it affected him badly i think he wasn't ready to be done uh but i also think that he got excited to put other people over and 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 impart that wisdom you know he loved you know breaking in new guys he loved breaking in new refs like harry but he loved like he was i remember him being so excited when edge christian and val venus all came through the kiwanis club and he was you know helping putting them over i write about that in the book as well you know, and giving them their first match in Hamilton. I remember him being really, really excited. So I think getting his story out there, even though there's bad parts of his story, which, again, I don't shy away from, I think he'd be honored. I mean, I, I have to go see a psychic to see what he thinks about the book. But I know, man, I know my dad loved being over. My dad loved being the center of attention, as do I in my business and in life. And, you know, you can't get more any center of attention. And, you know, his biceps weren't this big. I gave him some liberties on the, uh, on the design. But, <laughs> you did uh, so. You, you, know, but you this... did so. I wasn't going to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this picture on the back is the perfect, you know, the way we – I did, worked with a designer by the name of Matty Tobin. And he's, a, like, a legendary graphic designer and horror and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, me on my dad's shoulders over the smoky city of Hamilton is the complete, you know – the the whole story come together in one image and so i think he'd be very proud and i actually i don't think i know i know he'd be very proud so yeah i didn't even know that was a picture of hamilton i thought it was that was us in the shed <laughs> you and jumping jay <laughs> me and jay in the, shed, in the shed working on a show <laughs> eric harry I want to thank both of you so much for taking the time out of your schedules, you know, to join us here on the law of live audio wrestling. Uh, my apologies. Um, I couldn't be in a better surrounding. I'm sorry. I'm in my car guys. Yeah. No, we'll talk about good. that later. You piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> hey, as long as I look good, as long as I look good and I sound good. We're fine. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, guys, thank you so much again. Uh, very, very appreciative for all of you out there. Go pick up this book wherever you can. If you see Eric at a show, if you find out that he's going to be in a town near you, go pick up this book because it's stories like this, in my opinion. And like I've said this before, my goal in all of this is to allow people to tell their stories that don't normally get a chance to tell their story. And somebody like your dad is a perfect example of this. He may not be known to the casual wrestling fan today, but that doesn't make his story any less uh, valuable. 
for, for the world of professional wrestling. 100%. So thank you, Eric, for telling this story from your point of view, obviously, you know what I mean? Um, but it, it, it reaffirms my belief that the history of the business of professional wrestling has to be told because if it's not told, if it's not told, we're going to leave these young kids up to their own devices and they're going to have nothing to look back on. Where did it all come from? I don't know because apparently to some people wrestling didn't start until 2015. Well, that's not the case. All right. So you have to go out there and you have to read these things at all costs, no matter what happens. And we're going to continuously try to figure out how we can get Harry to write a book as well. So hopefully there that'll be. Coming up. I have, I have seven chapters done so far. Hey, there he is. They all say the same fucking thing, but he has got <laughs> chapters done so no, they're, they're actually on uh, empty zigzag packs. They're just small. <laughs> <laughs> seven, seven chapters by seven chapters, he means he's written on seven bathroom walls at truck stops. <laughs> he's been sending sm smoke signals. <laughs> That's tremendous. Guys, thank you so much again. Uh, this is the Law Live Audio Wrestling.